Turn, if you would, tonight to Proverbs, or not to Proverbs, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can look into your word now in these next few moments. I pray, God, that you'd help us uh, to be encouraged by your word tonight. And, Lord, that we'd be strengthened by it. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I think most of you would remember this, that we finished our extensive look at Hebrews chapter 11. And in doing so, this is what was brought to our attention, at least from my perspective, in very clear terms, uh, in uh, terms that are hard to dispute and hard to argue, that the characters mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 were incredible examples and testimonies of faith. These men and these women, their testimonies of faith is incredible. It is a challenge. And as the scripture mentioned, and I've touched on the last several weeks, that the world did not deserve them. That's an amazing statement to have it said of a person because of their faith. And, and I'll just let us think on that for a minute. It's an amazing statement to think that it could be said of someone that the world did not deserve them because of their lifestyle and because of their faith and because of their walk with God. And so as Hebrews chapter 11 came to a close, then chapter 12 last week we looked in verse number 1, and the writer saying in the first part, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer wanted the believers that he was writing to to be mindful of the testimony and the example given to them because he was going to challenge them with this statement, let us run the race, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The writer reminded them and he reminds us that as a result of our salvation, every one now or every one of us are now a part of a spiritual race and it's an agonizing race. And he said that we need to run it with patience. We need to run it with perseverance, much like the saints who have gone on before them, he said. And then in the midst of all this, he made a statement that just made sense. He said that in the midst of this race, as agonizing as it will be, we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. He said that in this race we are in, this race that we are a part of, we need to look at our lives, we need to examine our lives, and we need to be willing to determine, is there anything that is keeping me from, from running this race, living the Christian life, in the way I ought to be living it. And if so, we need to lay it aside, we need to cast it off so that we can be the Christians we're supposed to be. That is an important statement and that is an important truth. Even today, we need to be willing to look at our lives and ask ourselves, is there something hindering me in my walk with the Lord? And if so, be willing to give it up. And so many times, it is hard for us to give up those things that are besetting sins or are those things that are a weight to us. And if we really want to run as we're supposed to, that's what we'll be willing to do. Now that in mind, tonight I'm going to tell a story. I'm sure I have said this in the past. I've also said this in the past that I don't mind repeating a story every once in a while because I listen to some of you repeat some of your stories. So it's fair and if I have to do it with you, then every once in a while you should get to do it with me. So I'm going to tell a story. You've heard this one before, I'm sure, but that's okay. 
Several years ago, when I began riding bikes with Brother John and Brother Randy, I was in much worse shape then than I'm in now. I know that may be hard to believe, but truly, I was in much worse shape then than I'm in now, and I really could not ride my bike down a flat street more than a couple of blocks without being in extreme discomfort, all right? It just, it was not fun, it was not pleasurable, it was not enjoyable. And the very first time that we went out on a bike ride, we did the loop, which from where we were starting and where we were going to finish, it was about a 16-mile trip, and I remember thinking on that particular ride, I'm going to die out here. Uh, this is not going to end well. This is not going to, to be good for any of us. And, and so I made it most of the way. I was very fortunate and I was very blessed that I had a flat tire right by my house. And so I was able to quit the ride early and go in and just lay on the floor exhausted. But nonetheless, we continued to ride and we continued to, the, to do the loop because I was told that is how we would challenge ourselves and that is how we would build endurance. And so I don't know what ride it would have been on. I don't know how many times we had done this. Probably not very many, though. And we were working our way up the hill toward the train overpass and soon we would be able to coast uh, a good portion of the way and kind of just relax after what we had done. But as we were going up this hill, again, in much worse shape than I'm in now, I was hurting, I, I was struggling, I, I was just having a very hard time, and, and there was a part of me, and I know that you'll understand what I'm about to say, there was a part of me that just wanted to quit. Just get off the bike and just walk it up the top of the hill and then resume riding once you get to the top of the hill where it requires no effort. But because no one else was willing to stop and walk their bike up the hill because of pride and ego, I wasn't going to stop either. And so here's what I did. I kept pedaling, but I did this. And again, I'm sure I've said this at some point in the past, but here's what I did. I fixed my eyes on one of the poles out there, the electrical poles out there, and that became my goal, just make it to that point. Once I reached that particular pole, I would look ahead to the next pole and I would tell myself, just make it to that point. Once I reached that pole, I told myself, make it to the next pole. And you understand the pattern here. Just keep fixing your eye on the pole that is in front of you and just make it to that point and eventually, obviously, you would make your way to the top of the hill. Now, I say that to say this that in that moment and in that scenario, in that situation, I was incapable at actually looking to the top of the hill. Because if I had done that, I would have been so discouraged and so defeated already that I probably would not have made it. And so I had to take my eyes off of the top of the hill and place it on something else so as to be able to just make it through it and eventually reach the top and then enjoy coasting at least for a little bit. Now, this evening, as I share that story with you again, here is what I would assume, that every one of you have been involved in some kind of task at some point in your life where it was not easy, it was not fun, it was not enjoyable, but quitting really wasn't an option. I, I mean, it was an option, but it wasn't a good option, and you knew that, right? And so what did you do? You had to do something 
to help you get through that task. You had to do something to help you get through whatever the situation was. And so you've probably at different times in your life, in different settings, in different situations, you gave yourself little markers. You gave yourself little goals in in which to achieve certain things. And as you did that, you eventually accomplished what needed to be accomplished by way of the bigger picture, the, the grander scheme of things. Now, I say all that to say this. What did the writer compare the Christian life to last week? He compared it to a race, correct? That's what he did. He compared it to a race. And in comparing the Christian life to the race, what did he say it would be? He said it would be agonizing. That is what the word race means. It means agony. So he said the race that we are called to run, it is an agonizing race. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of wish he had just stopped there and left it alone. Because that's bad enough as it is. But as you look in the last part of verse number 3, notice what he said. He said, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, friends, keep in mind that he is still talking about the Christian life and how it was supposed to be lived. And he says in verse number 3 that it is possible for a person to be wearied in this spiritual life. In this race, it is possible to become wearied. What does it mean whenever he speaks of being weary in this particular verse and this particular context? It means this to labor or to toil to the point of becoming sick. To labor or to toil to the point of becoming sick. Have you ever been there? Have you ever become so weary in your labor and your toil and your work that you actually became sick? Has it ever happened to you? It happens sometimes. I can promise you out riding a bike that that happens sometimes. If you don't take care of yourself, if you don't do what needs to be done, you will make yourself sick on on a particular ride. And so here is what the writer says to the believers. Listen, here is what I don't want you to do. I I don't want you to weary or to become weary in the Christian life. I, I don't want you to reach the point where you get so weary that you faint. So what does it mean to faint? I think most of us know this, don't we? It means to collapse. Personally, I've never fainted, but I've witnessed it happen before. What does a person do when they faint? Their body completely relaxes and they collapse. So what is the writer suggesting? The writer is suggesting this, that the race, the Christian life, can be so agonizing that there are times people actually grow weary to the point of what we might compare to a physical sickness, so much so that they eventually faint or they collapse. Their body just can't take it anymore. But notice what he said in the verse. He said this, "...lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." He is not talking about a physical weariness. He is not talking about a a physical sickness. He is not talking about a physical fatigue. He is talking about the mental anguish and the mental stress that can oftentimes accompany the Christian life. Can I ask you something tonight? And, and, And just let me know by a nod of the head if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever been so weary not physically, 
but it was a mental weariness and fatigue. Have you ever been there? Most of us have. And here's what happens in the Christian life. I'm sure that this has happened to most of us. Here is what we're wrestling with. We're not wrestling with our bodies shutting down. We're not wrestling with us not being able to go another step physically. But here's what we're dealing with in our spiritual lives. We are dealing with many times the frustrations of the Christian life. Are we not? Many times we're dealing with the irritations of the Christian life. Many times where our Christian life is, is under attack is through the, the form of discouragement. I, I, I won't speak for anyone else tonight but for myself, but here is what I know. More times than not, when I am struggling in my spiritual life, it has nothing to do with me physically, but it has almost everything to do with me mentally and emotionally. Whenever I am discouraged, whenever I am frustrated, whenever I am irritated, that is when I began wrestling with so many different things, so many different thoughts. And so here is the, the, the writer writing to the believers, and he said this, I don't want you to be wearied. I don't want you to become sick. I don't want you to become uh, exhausted and to faint or collapse in your mind. For this reason, if you and I collapse and we faint in our minds, it's just a matter of time and our bodies will follow suit. You understand what I'm saying? When a person collapses in their mind, it's not long before the body will stop being engaged in what the body used to be engaged in because the mind is no longer engaged in it. You know why most people stop going to church? It's not because they're physically incapable of doing so. It's because of discouragement and depression and frustration and irritations that set in. You know why so many people stop reading their Bibles? It's not because they don't have the ability to concentrate and to focus on the pages anymore. It's because their mind has become distraught and their mind has become distracted by the cares of this world. And the list just goes on and on. There is a reason why people stop praying and they stop going through the physical aspect and the physical function of praying. It's because in their mind they fainted a long time ago. Okay, so here's the writer, and he's saying this, I don't want you to be wearied. I don't want you to grow to this point of exhaustion to where you would faint in your minds, because here is what will happen if you faint in your mind. It's going to affect every other aspect of your spiritual life. So he says in verse number 1 that this is a race that you have to run with patience. It's a race that you have to persevere, and you have to just keep sticking with it. And he said, I don't want you to be wearied and faint. So notice what he says in verse 2 to, to begin helping the, the writers or to continue helping the, 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 the readers of this letter that's been written. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. What does it mean to look unto Jesus? It means this. To take your eye off of something else and to place it on this particular object. So in the bike ride that I mentioned a few moments ago, it would be like this. Don't look at the top of the hill because that represents and typifies the, the epitome 
of the struggle that I'm facing at that moment. So what did I need to do? Take your eyes off of that and place your eyes on this. Here's the writer and he said, in the midst of the struggles, here's what you need to do. You need to look unto Jesus. Now, I don't know if I've said this in recent messages, but I want us to think about this. It was back in chapter 10 that the writer was talking about how some were struggling in their Christian lives and some were entertaining the ideas of going back to the old way of, of living in the old Jewish system. So do you see what he's saying? He is saying this, in the midst of the persecution that's beginning to take place, in the midst of the hard times that are beginning to take place, here is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to focus on those things. Focus on Jesus. But still good advice. <laughs> it is wonderful advice. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your hard times, in the things that would weigh on your mind, in the things that would cause you to want to quit, in the things that would want to cause you to just collapse and give up and to not care anymore, here is what you do. Take your eyes off of those things and look unto Jesus. I'll just go ahead and say this right now and get a little bit ahead of myself, but I think we need to hear this. Many times in the midst of our struggles, you and I are very good at focusing on the struggles and not focusing on Jesus Christ. Whenever I am discouraged, I can tell you everything that is wrong. You try to tell me to focus on Jesus, and I don't want to do that. And when you're struggling in your mind, whenever you're struggling with your thoughts, many times that is where our flesh enjoys staying, and that's where we enjoy going to. We, we would say, well, we don't enjoy it, but we do because that's where we fix our attention. So the writer says, get your eyes off of the problems, get your eyes off of the persecution, get your eyes off of the difficulties, and look unto Jesus. For what reason? For this reason. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Why do we need to look at Jesus? Because He is the one who initiated our faith in the first place. He is what we have placed our faith in. And then He is the finisher of our faith. He is the one who is the completer and the perfecter of our faith. Do we realize this, that Jesus Christ is the perfect example of a life of faith? You take Abraham, Isaac, you take Sarah, you take David, you take any character that was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And as wonderful of an example of faith as they were to every believer, they had their own set of struggles. They had their own weaknesses. They had their own flaws. None of them, as great of an example as they were, were perfect examples of faith. But Jesus Christ, the author, the initiator of our faith, is also the finisher of our faith. He is the perfect example of what a life of faith looks like. Look at his example. Why would we look at his example? Because as the perfect example of faith, here is what he did. He completely, entirely, 100% allowed himself to be led and directed by his heavenly father, even when the fleshly side of him did not want to be obedient or 
follow through with what he knew was required of him. Think about the fleshly struggle of Christ. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I know that you and I will never understand at this side of heaven how Christ could be all God and all man, how he could be omnipotent and at the same time experience weakness. And yet that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what took place. And so here's what happens whenever we are struggling, whenever we're growing weary, whenever we're, we're battling the thoughts of our minds, the discouragement, the frustrations, whatever it may be. Here's what we need to do. Stop. Stop looking at the problems and fix our eyes on Jesus Christ because he is the perfect example of a life of faith and faithfulness. How do we know? Because he goes on to say in verse number 2, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean? It means this, that here is what Christ did, that for the joy that was set or placed in front of him, he endured or he persevered through the cross. What does that mean? Well, it means this. It's not that Christ enjoyed the process of the cross. You realize this, right? I mean, I just referenced that. The fleshly side of Christ wanted that avoided. He wanted that bypassed. Somehow, if that could be negated, if that could be done away with, that's what he wanted. But see, here is what Christ knew, that there was something greater past the cross that was worth, listen please, what was worth what he was about to endure and what he was about to go through. And knowing what was on the other side of the cross, knowing what would be accomplished as a result of the cross, it was that joy that was set in front of him that allowed him to endure through that. Now think about the application there for just a moment for the believers in the writer's time and for you and I today. Here is what we've got to remember as we look at the example, as we look at the perfect testimony of Jesus Christ that whenever you and I are going through hard times, whenever you and I are going through difficult times, we need to remember that there is a greater reward on the other side of the trials and the frustrations that we are dealing with right now. Do we ever lose sight of that? What do we have our eyes fixed on? We have our eyes fixed on the frustrations. We have our eyes fixed on the discouragement. We have our eyes fixed on everything that is not going right. And so what happens? Many people decide, well, I'm just going to quit. Oh, because that's really easy, right? Once you quit, then you never have any more problems. No, if you quit, here's, you know, it's kind of like on a bike ride. If you decide to quit, you know what you have to do? You got to walk still. I mean, you, you've still got challenges. Let's listen, please. You, you've still got things you've got to do. And so here's what happens so many times in the life of a Christian. They quit because they lose sight of the fact that there is a reward on the other side and they don't just press through. And, and so for me and, and for you, if, if you'd be honest enough to admit it, we're running this race and it's getting hard, it's getting agonizing and we want to quit. No, no, no. Take our problems off that. Focus on the testimony of Jesus and his example of faithfulness and look at what he did, that he, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the trial that was in front of him. 
I know it's not fun. I know it's not exciting. I know it's not thrilling. And, and I know it's not what our flesh wants to do. But when you and I are going through difficulties, we must be willing to look long term. Amen. Amen. We must be. Because if all we're going to do is look at the short term, we will never have victories in our spiritual lives. So he said, look unto Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. He said he endured the cross doing what? Despising the shame. You know what that means? It means this. He thought little of it. It wasn't that he didn't notice it. He just esteemed it to be a little thing in comparison to the bigger picture. How many times do we allow things on this earth to be much bigger than they really are? We do it. This is so big. This is so terrible. This is so awful. Listen, I understand we don't like it. Christ didn't enjoy the act of going through the cross and everything that was associated with it. He didn't enjoy the shame. He didn't enjoy the humiliation. He didn't enjoy the reproach. It's not that all that was fun, but again, here is what he did. He realized in comparison to what is going to happen on the other side of the cross, this is a light thing. Now, I'm just saying that we as Christians, we need to look at his example. We need to look at his testimony, stop thinking about our problems, and we need to stop making the problems bigger than they really are. Because in light of eternity and in light of the reward, it's really not as significant as we think it is. Many times we're just not very strong in our Christian lives. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he reminds the readers where Christ is at now because of his following through with everything and, and the way that God's plan worked out. So then notice in verse number 3 what he said next. He said this, For consider him, for consider him that endured such contradiction. What does it mean to consider? It means this. Meditate on this. Ponder this. Give this attention. Consider Him. Think about Christ. Give Him attention. Let this be your focal point. Him that endured such contradiction of sinners. What does it mean that he endured the contradiction of sinners? It means this, that he persevered and he pushed through those who rebelled against him, those who hated them, those who despised him, those who mocked him. Here is what he did. He just continued to persevere knowing that he was hated. The writer says, come on, folks. 
Those of you who are discouraged, again, go back to chapter 10, the last several verses, if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about. Go back to chapter 10 and reread it, and then consider the examples of faith given in chapter 11. Then move into chapter 12, if you need to refresh your mind on all this. And he says, consider him. What he dealt with, what he was going through, what, what, what he had to personally you know, experience in this life. Consider him and all those who stood in opposition to him, who were rebellious to him. Consider him. Because here's what will happen. If you will look unto Jesus and if you will consider him, if you'll really do these things, you know what it will let you do? It will let you get through whatever struggles and problems and issues you're dealing with today. When you get your eyes off of the problems, when you get your eyes off of the issues, and you fix your attention on Jesus Christ, here's what will happen. You will not become weary, at least not to the point of fainting. You may grow weary, you may grow tired, you, you, you may have to deal with frustrations and discouragements, whatever it may be, but if you will fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfect example of faith and faithfulness, you know what will happen? You'll make it. You'll make it. Again, there's a reason why so many people drop out of the race. There's a reason why so many people quit. There's a reason why so many who started out so strong finished so poorly. It's because they took their eyes off of Jesus. They didn't consider him the way that Christ needed to be considered. And when the struggles came, it was more than they could handle. And so what did they do? They fainted and they collapsed and they were done and they were over. And now they're a has-been. They are a casualty in the spiritual warfare. I know the answer to what I'm about to ask. Do you ever struggle? Of course you do. Are you ever just so weary, not in your flesh, but in your mind, you're just sick of it all? You ever there? Of course you are. Don't lie and act like you're not. Have you ever been so weary in the mind that your body started to follow suit and run that course of action? Yeah, it's happened. Is it possible that there are some here this evening that if you were just honest, you'd have to say this, I'm struggling right now, not physically, but mentally and emotionally. I'm struggling right now. Things aren't going well. Things aren't going the way I'd hoped. It's a little bit tougher than what I thought it was going to be. It's a bit more agonizing than I really want to deal with right now. Is it possible that some in here tonight are even struggling with that? Well, I think it's possible. I don't know what it would be, but it's possible that there are some who are struggling right now. So what do you and I need to do if we're in that position right now? Well, we don't need to keep our eyes focused on the problem. Hello. 
what's our problem right now? Well, it's this. Uh, listen, I, I'm not saying it's not a problem. But what I am saying is this. Focusing on the problem will not be what brings us through on the other side. Giving all of our attention and giving all of our thoughts and giving all of our energy and all of our emotions to whatever the problem may be, that will not get us through the problem, whatever it is. So what do I need to do? What do you need to do? I need to do this. I need to know that the problem is there. I need to know the situation is there. But I need to fix my eyes on Jesus Christ. And I need to look at his testimony. And I need to look at his perfect example of faith. The one who did everything right every time. I need to look at his example of faith. And he was the one who with joy was able to endure the cross, thinking little of the shame. What I need to do is look at that and say something to this effect. Listen, whatever the problem is, I just need to keep my eyes on Jesus because Whenever I get through this situation, whatever it is, it will be worth it. It'll be beneficial, and I'll be glad I didn't quit. I have to keep my eyes on Jesus even when I don't want to, and you need to keep your eyes on Jesus, and some of you need to get your eyes on Jesus tonight because right now your eyes are on the problem. He endured such contradiction of sinners. He knows what it's like to go through difficult times. He was the perfect example. So why not focus your attention on him? Consider him. Let that be what has your thoughts tonight. And, and, and I know, I know. You may sit here tonight and you may say, Brother Kyle, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Oh, Brother Kyle, no problems, no issues here. Good. Talk to me tomorrow. When you go back to work and all of a sudden you're hit with some issue. And all of a sudden your mind is wrestling with this and your mind is struggling with this. Let's visit at the end of the week and see if everything's as perfect and as, as wonderful then as it is right now. There's a good chance it won't be. So what do we need to do then? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not allow our attention to be given to the problem. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I know that there are some right now and the mind is free, the mind is without stress. There's really not a lot of concerns for them right now. Things are going well, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I am also sure that there are people right now who, if they would just be honest, they would admit that they are struggling in their heart. They are struggling in their mind. The cares of this world, whatever they are, they are weighing on them so deeply, they are weighing on them so heavily right now that if they could, they would just collapse under the pressure. And Lord, there may be some right now who are struggling, and as a result of their struggle, they're struggling in their Bible reading, they're struggling in their personal walk with you, they're really struggling to just be faithful because they have given so much attention to their problems. And I pray that tonight we would be men and women and young people who place our focus, who fix our eyes on you and consider you. I pray these things tonight in Jesus' name.
Amen.